Hey, are you ready to talk some sports? Wow. We've got Ronnie O and Coach Joe warming up in the bullpen, getting ready to throw some strikes. It's the Ozone, brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors, turning scrap metal into cash. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe here in the Ozone, taking names, kicking posteriors, and we want you to join in. Give us a call, 682-1430. That's 682-1430. Or if you're technologically inclined, it's ozone at hallradio.net. That's ozone at hallradio.net. Coach Joe, I was looking up some things, and on this date in history, a guy named Chuck Knoll in 1969 was named head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. He was the youngest coach in NFL history at the time. In his first year, he got off to a great start. He was 1-13. Second year, 5-9, and 6-8. and eight. Then in 72, they turned the corner, 11-3. and three. And I did not remember this. He was the defensive coordinator for the Baltimore Colts that lost Super Bowl three. Now, you know, that's all people remember about that team. To me, that might be the best team ever to lose the Super Bowl. They set an NFL record. They only gave up 144 points under his direction. They had Earl Morrill at quarterback most of the year because Unitas was hurt. And he led the league in passing – and they went 13-1. and one. On paper, there's no way they can lose to the Jets. But you make that many mistakes, and you can lose to anybody. Well, the 2007 New England Patriots might <laughs> might have a word with you. Yeah, they might. The best team to ever lose the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned how it took several years for Noel to turn the Steelers into winners. A lot of people don't remember this because they have to go back even – even uh, farther back than your day, Ronnie, to remember <laughs> that the Steelers uh, for a, a good many decades were awful. And they, they were the team people beat up on. They beat them on the way to the game, you know, <laughs> that, that old line. Till Noel came, they had never won as much as a division championship. Right, yeah. And, and so he was maybe because of that, he was given time to build up the team. And, of course, he had some terrific drafts. One of the first players he drafted was Mean Joe Green, and it just went from, from there. Uh, and he also hit on some people who weren't considered great prospects, like a guy named Terry Bradshaw. That turned yeah, out pretty good. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and he found guys like Rocky Blyer, and, and it just built a tremendous team, known for their defense. Uh, and since then, Steelers, one of the reasons they win all the time or are in contention all the time and they're very good all the time is their stability. Exactly. So it, with, with all the hirings and firings of the coaches out there, I think a couple got hired today because there were eight openings. It's it should be noted that uh, uh, after Bradshaw uh, and, and Noel, then they had Bill Cower for a while, and then they've had Mike Tomlin ever since, and uh, he's had a pretty good quarterback, a guy named Ben Roethlisberger, who yeah. announced officially today. We kind of knew this was coming that he's going to retire after. You know, it's been 18 years he's been in the league. That's hard to believe. <laughs> he was drafted. A lot of people forget because the the big news of the 2004 draft was Philip Rivers and Eli Manning, how uh, they were traded for each other on draft day. But uh, you know who's waiting in the wings a few picks back was uh, was Ben Roethlisberger, and he turned out pretty good too. Yeah, he did. And, you know, the Steelers, those old Steelers, one of the problems they had was they didn't make very good personnel decisions. At one time they had Johnny Unitas and Lynn Dawson, two future <laughs> Hall of Famers, on their roster, and they cut them both. I know in, in Unitas's case – they kept a guy named Ted Marchabroda, who later became the Colts head coach. And uh, he was out of St. Bonaventure. 
and I don't even think they the Bonnies play football anymore. But how about that? And his daughter actually went to the University of Florida. She was a little sister <laughs> to my fraternity when my brother was up there. <laughs> Trying to think of teams that have given away a lot of great players, uh, and it always seemed to be you know getting rid of the wrong guys. Uh, the Dolphins come to mind of late, but, but <laughs> you know, you always see it's always fun to watch a, a, a team that's made up of great players who used to play for other clubs. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about the uh, Vikings trading their draft for the next 15 years for Herschel Walker? <laughs> I know that, by the way, you know, you talked about a slow start. The very first season of Jimmy Johnson's pro ho- head coaching career with Dallas was one in 13. He did. He had made the number one pick, a guy named Troy Aikman. He was pretty good. Uh, but uh, the two of them struggled together, and then the Herschel Walker trade came. And they built their they built a three-time Super Bowl winner just off of one trade. That's oh, they how did. one-sided that was. Well, think what that did for Emmitt Smith. You know, had Emmitt gone to a team that was really bad, he got lucky in that he went to a team that was building and was building a great offensive line I don't, Emmett would have never gotten to where he did if he'd gone to a really bad team that was continually, say, he'd gone to the Lions or somebody like that. Well, it's surprising because Emmett lasted till the 16th pick of the first round. Yeah, he was passed up by a lot of guys. You know, sometimes there's luck involved in the draft, and and Dallas, uh, you know, was was just couldn't believe he, he fell that far, and and they really had a. I mean, Emmett has always been good, and it was no surprise that that he's good. You know, he's not super fast, it, but he's. He's sneaky fast. You know, we watched him at the University of Florida, and you didn't always see him break off huge long runs, but he'd get, he, he'd get the most out of every single run he got. He was difficult to tackle, and he knew where the hole was, and he knew when to accelerate. And he, he reminds me of, of guys in the past that we, used, we grew up watching, running backs who never seemed to be moving. They seemed to be gliding, but yeah. they were getting big yardage. And yet he holds a record for the longest run from scrimmage at the University of Florida. 96 yards against Mississippi State. I'll I never that. forget yeah. the call. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was there that day, and I'll never, I was listening to the radio, and the color commentator said, Emmett Smith over left tackle. He runs into a big pile. He breaks out. Emmett Smith, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50. <laughs> and then at the end, he said, Emmett Smith just outran four guys who are faster than he is. And he had that knack. Well, let's go ahead and take a break. We come back. We're going to have Blake Alderman from 24 7 Sports with us. He's going to be talking a little recruiting. Next Wednesday is signing day, so you're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe on Talk Radio 96.7 WLKF. This is Mike Donnelly, head men's basketball coach at Florida Southern College. You are listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone. Ozone. Oh, yeah. Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone tonight, brought to you by Ally Scrap Processors. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe back in the Ozone and with us. We're privileged to have with us Mr. Blake Alderman, who lives in Imperial, Polk County. He is a recruiting guru for 24-7 Sports. Blake, welcome to the Ozone with Ronnie O and Coach Joe. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Man, I tell you, we couldn't wait to have you on. I know you've been a busy man with next Wednesday. (laughs) Even though the signing date isn't what it once was, I bet you're still a busy man. Absolutely. Whenever you have a coaching change like this so close to the December signing period, uh, you have a low number of guys that signed in that December one, and they've got a lot of spots to fill. So this year has actually probably been one of my more busy uh, Januaries that I've had in quite a while on the recruiting trail. So it's it's been pretty wild. It's been fun being busy so much in this month because, like I said, usually it, there's only a couple spots left. There's only you know so many storylines to chase. So it, it's it's been it's been different, but it's been fun. I got a couple questions for you. 
um, Travante Citizen. He is on a his an unofficial visit at Florida, as I understand it, right now. And it seems like the Gators' running back room is going to be overflowing. They've already gotten Trevor Etienne. Does that impact him in any way, or what if they do get? Uh, you know, citizen? I don't think it's so much of an impact for Etienne. Um, <clears throat> Florida also added Montrell Johnson through the NCAA transfer portal, who is uh, the former um, Sun Belt Freshman of the Year player in the 2021 season. So you add those two guys in there. You know, considering that obviously Etienne won't be there until the summer. But you know, Florida with you know losing two running backs that were seniors and Damian Pierce and Malik Davis. Uh, Naquan Wright goes down with that ankle injury in that Florida State game. You know, I'm not sure what his status will be for the spring season. So, you know, Florida could very well enter the spring football season with two running backs before you add a guy like Johnson in who's obviously enrolled now. So, um, I, you know, you, you never know how transitions are going to go. Coaching staff changes. Usually there's some guys that, you know, enter the portal, choose to transfer. You know, I haven't really heard anything on that front as far as guys leaving Florida. But I think it's just something you need to prepare for whenever you have a coaching change, whenever you see some guys go through spring football. And also I think, too, that you know Florida, from looking at Napier and his offense, he's really been a run-heavy type of guy. You know, He was the run-heavy type of guy at ULL. I'm not sure if that's going to transition over to Florida. You know, I, I guess it would depend on the personnel with really what you want to attack a defense with. But I, I think that you, know, you see the heavy number of running backs that they're recruiting – um, you know, it certainly seems like they're going to make a focal point of running the ball. Um, you know, I think with a guy like uh, Travante Citizen himself, you know, you've got one of the top running backs left in the country. So I think it's one of more of those deals to where, you know, it's not a necessarily a big need. You know, if Florida misses out on him, if he goes to another school come signing day, Florida's got backs. You know, I mean, I think that's, that's you know, one of the big things to kind of look at a silver lining if he didn't go there. But you have a guy that's one of the top running backs in the country. If you're going to want to run the ball, he's one of them, probably the more physical type of running backs out there, you know, remaining guys left in that 2020 class that are unsigned. So um, if you add him, he's really just kind of a cherry on top for your, you know, your running back room, your recruiting class for this cycle. A uh, big win pulling a guy like that out of home state, Louisiana, a guy that Auburn is really heavy on as well. Um, but, you know, I think if you miss him, it's, it's not a guy that, you know, that the sky is going to fall. It's, it, it, you've still got some, some very talented backs. Um, right. Marcus Bowman out of Lakeland being one of them and, and, you know, having a guy like Lorenzo Lingard. We're not really sure how those guys are going to, you know, really translate to the field just because they haven't had those carries at the college level. But, um, you know, Citizen is definitely a really talented back for sure. A couple other names I'd like to run by you real quick. Harold Perkins and Jalen Farmer. Yeah, Jalen Farmer's committed to Florida. Uh, he committed to Florida, I think it was last September, um, under Dan Mullen. Um, was kind of a guy that was really unknown when he first committed to Florida. I think at the time, Florida was one of three offers, and I'm pretty sure the other two were Georgia Tech and East Carolina. Since then, he's slimmed down his body, had a really strong senior season, probably more of an interior guy, a guard. Um, but he's cut some weight, slimmed down some had a really strong senior year, and now you're looking at a guy that exploded with SEC offers from Auburn, Kentucky, Mississippi State. Uh, Alabama actually just offered him today. Um, he'll be at, at Alabama this coming up weekend for an official visit. So, um, you know, he remained committed over the, over the coaching change, did not sign with Florida in December even though he was committed. And I think that was more to do with the fact that he hadn't had the chance to get to know these new coaches um, at the time of the early signing period. <clears throat> I think Florida had only just hired Darnell Stapleton, who was the assistant coach. 
So Napier really didn't have a full staff. So I think he wanted to take his time, evaluate these new guys, evaluate some other schools that were going to continue to recruit him. Um, and he'll be at Alabama this coming up weekend for an official visit. So um, Florida's already hosted him on their official visit. That was back uh, on the weekend of January 14th. Um, so they've had their crack at him. He's been to Kentucky. He's been to Auburn. Uh, he'll be at Alabama this weekend. So Florida's got a fight on their hands for him. Um, it's a guy that, that definitely has seen his, his stock rise, you know, as, as you get closer to signing day. I thought before the Bama offer, you know, you never know how a visit will shake out or maybe turn the tides for things. But um, I think that Florida's the school that they've been watching the most with him is probably the Auburn Tigers. Um, they've got a pretty big needed offensive line, too. So they, they seem to be a factor there. As far as Harold Perkins, I don't think you have a guy that's on Florida's recruiting board right now that is higher than him. You know, I think that's certainly the number one guy on their wish list. You know, he committed to uh, Texas A&M back in, uh, earlier this month at the Under Armour All-American game. That commitment lasted only a couple weeks. Um, he took the official visit to Florida there on January 14th. Um, they really sold him on being an X-Factor type of guy, playing all around their linebacker room, making an impact early. Obviously, you know, the education Florida offers, how they are really starting to get into those NIL deals with guys that, you know, seem to be a, a kind of a big selling point for a lot of these guys. Um, being recruited right now and, and how they can be set up in that aspect. Um, so I think a lot of those things are really appealing to him. Uh, Billy Napier and I think four or five other assistant coaches actually are in home with him as we're talking right now. They, they went by the home to meet the family, um, hang out with him. They were at his school today. Um, so, you know, he's, he's a guy that I think has always been very high on Napier's board um, just since he was hired because, I mean, you've got a five-star number one outside linebacker. I mean, there are so many reasons why, you know, this guy is a dude. You know, this is a guy you got to have. But then you look at the at Florida's roster. You know, you lose uh, Diabate to the transfer portal. He's already at Utah. You lose Tyron Hopper out there to the transfer portal. Um, he's looking like he's possibly going to end up at Missouri. So Florida's losing some guys that were big contributors at their linebacker position. I'm sure they've recruited some guys. There's some younger guys that you really don't know how they're going to shake out at the college level so I mean if you can get a guy like that in a position where you've lost some guys that were already contributors for your team and you can replace those guys with a number one linebacker um, in your first year in a transition class I mean that would just be a big get for Florida um, Texas A&M is still in the picture for him although I feel like the fact that he's backed off that commitment after it being kind of short you know I, I just I don't think I'm very confident seeing him recommit to Texas A&M with it you know being just under a week left till signing day um, Florida's certainly in the picture for him um, he's from Louisiana originally, I believe, out of New Orleans. So he'll be at LSU this coming weekend. He'll have some family up there. So um, kind of still a little bit of a tight battle for him, but I think it's one that Florida is absolutely in the picture for. Um, they're going to really try to impress that family tonight as they meet with him for that in-home visit. And they're they're going to they're going to hang on and see what this LSU visit if it shakes anything out. But I mean, this is a guy that Florida is just you know recruiting extremely hard. He's a big big want for them. Our guest tonight, Blake Alderman, for the recruiting analyst of Swamp Two Four Seven Six Eight Two Fourteen Thirty Six Eight Two Fourteen Thirty. If you have any questions for Blake, we got signing day coming up this Wednesday, and uh, you talked about the fact there's. Uh, that home visit with Harold Perkins coming up. Uh, Blake, uh, where, what is the Napier staff doing uh, that you see, that you can tell is different than the way Dan Mullen and his staff approach things? Well, actually recruiting guys. Um, I think that's one of the big things. That wasn't really Dan Mullen's forte. You know, he was one of those guys that always kind of seemed like, you know, I don't think he absolutely just put recruiting on the back burner. I just think he was one of those guys that 
didn't really go star chasing, didn't go for those big time players. You know, if, if you get a guy that wants to be a Gator, he's going to be a Gator and I'm going to coach him up. I think that was his mindset. And, you know, that that's not necessarily a bad mindset. You know, if you really have to hit on all your evaluations, but whenever you're in the SEC, recruiting good isn't good enough. You have to recruit great. You're going against Georgia's. You're going against maybe not every year, but you know the Bama's that are you're usually if you if you make it to the SEC East, you're nine times out of ten going to see them in the SEC championship game. LSU that's recruited really well. A&M is on the come up, and they're on Florida schedule this coming up season in 2022. So you may not see a lot of these teams that are recruiting at a high level every year, but you're going to see Georgia every year for sure, and they're they're always. If not one, they're you know top one of the top schools that are doing a good job recruiting. They always end up really high on those team rankings. Um, so I think that Napier understands that, and I think one of the biggest differences is just the fact that you're not having one coach, one guy in the recruiting office, kind of keeping up with a kid, or maybe a couple guys. I mean, you have kids that are hearing from just about every member of the staff. They're hearing from Napier, if not every day, every other day. You're just seeing the effort put into recruiting taking so much more of an uptick. Um, you're seeing a lot of the guys that have visited under the former staff and have visited now under the new staff. They notice the differences. They feel more of a family type of vibe, you know, from from being around these coaches. Um, I think these guys are a little bit more relatable to a lot of these kids. I think that they, uh, I mean, with recruiting, I mean, you either can do it or you can't. You know, you 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 just it, it's just something that really can't be taught. And I think being relatable and really being able to sell your program in the direction you want to take things in, I think, is something that that Napier and a lot of his coaches have. When you look at the guys he's hired, you know, you've got some guys that are really good coaches, but also really good recruiters. It's not one or the other, which I thought was kind of one of the deals with Mullen's coaching staff. You just didn't have enough of those guys that were a little bit of both or, or a lot of bit of both. Well, how um, many? So and, those, I'm sorry, Blake. Uh, go ahead. No, I, I mean that was really the biggest difference to me. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think just the fact that, you know, you look at the expansions that they've done to the recruiting office, adding a lot of people um, in the off-field roles, you've seen a lot more of those hires under Napier. And that was one of the big things whenever he wanted to be hired was having that support staff, having those guys in the recruiting offices, quality control, analysts, all those types of things. So I think that it's kind of the blueprint of what the Georges and the Bamas and those kind of schools do. They have so many guys in those recruiting offices and the off-field types of roles. And that's not something that Florida really was big on as a whole, as a university, as an athletic association. So, I, yeah, like I said, that was one of the big things that Napier demanded coming in was expanding those roles, putting more money into those hires, putting more money into the coaching staff hires, you know, the, the, the pool of money for those salaries. So I think that those are probably the biggest differences for me. Blake, uh, when we look at Wednesday, uh, how many uh, recruits do you expect the Gators to sign? They only signed nine at the early signing period. How many do you expect uh, on Wednesday? Well, right now they're sitting at 15 high school guys. Um, let me pull up with – they've added some transfers, and if you include those guys into your numbers for 2022, I think Florida's sitting at 22, yes, 22 guys. Um, I think they have some space for a couple more. Um, like I said, you don't know how the spring's going to transpire with things. You know, I don't know that I have a magic number of how many spots they have available because I think the staff is recruiting at a level to where they're expecting some guys to go into that transfer portal in spring. So they're already kind of starting to, you know, get those guys from the high school ranks ready, um, adding some of those transfers that, like I, like I said, they already did that are already in there for the spring semester. Um, so I don't know that I know an exact number, at least not right now, because we've got the official visitor weekend coming up. I think once we 
see all these visits, all these in-homes done, I think then I might have a better idea. So, you know, I mean, for, our, for all I know, Florida could have a magic number. That's just not something I'm quite aware of just yet. Uh, you can follow Blake Alderman on Twitter, at Blake underscore Alderman. That's at B-L-A-K-E underscore A-L-D-E-R-M-A-N, at Blake Alderman, uh, at Blake underscore Alderman on Twitter. And to uh, also, uh, what's the other ways to uh, read all the material that you produce, Blake? Yeah, Swamp 24-7. It's, it's the 247 uh, Florida Gator site. I, I pretty much live on there. If you ask my wife, I, she, she says it's my other wife, um, how much I'm on that site with signing day keeping me so busy, all these coaching hires being made. So, um, you know, that, that's usually where a lot of my work is at. Like I, like you said, it's, it's on my Twitter. I put a lot of things out through there as well. So those are usually two of the places you can usually find me. Well, we just so appreciate all the information you're giving us. There's so much going on with recruiting this time of year, and it's a very important time for this transitional class for the Gators, and it sounds like the, they're on the right track. And we, we certainly hope you can join us again soon, Blake, to uh, update us on how they did and uh, how things are going as, as we try to – Replenish the roster here at the Gators. That's Blake Alderman of Swamp 247. Blake, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Let me know if you ever need me back on. All right. Thank you so much, Blake. Well, I tell you what, this is our night. I'm telling you. Talk about an all-star cast. We had a great show last week, and we had a promise from Reggie Williams that if we could get the Bengals to win, that he would come back on with us this week. And so he fulfilling his promise you know we had that gator boy kick that field goal for him and uh you knew you had him all the way didn't you reggie i tell you man evan <laughs> is really impressing me you know as a confident kicker you know a person who was drafted to do what he did it was an amazing finish to an amazing game an amazing upset i'm really proud of all cincinnati Bengals fans and all on the bandwagon are welcome. <laughs> oh. Only for too long. Oh, man, I know what you mean. You know, I was looking back. There's some similarities to the 82 Super Bowl team that, that you were on where you got Anthony Munoz, Isaac Curtis, Ken Anderson, and Pete Johnson. Another Gator, Glenn Cameron, played linebacker with you. And, of course, the Rattler, Ken Riley, um, was on that team. And – you know, you got to have that quarterbacking. Do you see any similarities between the 82 team and the current Bengals team? You know, I really see more similarities uh, with the 88 team. I mean, the, the one thing, uh, Kenny is a very deliberate kind of passer. Um, you know, uh, dinking and donking things. I mean, he had the long ball to Isaac or whatnot, but Joe reminds me more of the gunslinger style of Boomer. <laughs> yeah. you know, even though he's coming from the right side, you know, he has the same kind of confidence, the same kind of relationship with his wide receivers. So um, we were, I was uh, also looking at their defense, which really won the, the game, you know, um, they were supposed to not be able to stop their running attack with Derrick Henry back, and that's exactly what they did. They were able to slow him down and stop him from uh, winning the game. And uh, they were at home. They had every reason uh, to expect uh, a home field advantage. Uh, they slept in their own beds. You know, they ate their own food. <laughs> so 
you know, I just think it's something that, uh, you know, uh, winning on the road is one of the toughest things to do in the playoffs. You know, know, that's something. Go ahead. That's something we haven't, we didn't do our, both our seasons. We won all our games at home because we earned, uh, you know, home field advantage throughout the playoffs and we took advantage of it. But, um, you know, the win on the road, you know, to go through everything that's involved in transporting yourself from the comfort of your home, you know, to the airport and going through, you know, the TSA and, you know, <laughs> and, that, and the walk down to the terminal and, you know, eating some airplane food and getting into <laughs> that kind of compressor or compression that you are on when you're in an airplane and then trying to, you know, athletically unwind and uh, you've got to pack you know, make sure you didn't <laughs> leave anything at home that you needed on the road. So, I mean, there's a lot of small little things about traveling on the road. You know, you and mentioned. So I'm really proud of that team. You mentioned Derrick Henry. When your Bengal teams, the 82 and the 80, 88 team played in the 89 Super Bowl, you had a couple of big backs that you probably had to tackle and practice, Pete Johnson and Icky Woods. What was it like to tackle those guys? There was no one bigger than Pete. <laughs> <laughs> the only one that I faced bigger than Pete was the refrigerator. <laughs> okay, and I, I will say this, you know, the, but uh, we had a defense named after me. The only defense we had named after me, which was to stop the fridge on the goal line. <laughs> and uh, the first time we called it, you know, it worked perfectly. You know, I hit him before he knew it was going to get hit, hit him low in the uh, knees. He collapsed on top of me. He <laughs> prevented the running back from, uh, you know, running around. So he even lost. <laughs> Unfortunately, he had a few more plays, and that, that was our only defense. And uh, by the time that goal line stand ended, they scored, and my shoulders were through for the game. <laughs> We're talking to Reggie Williams, a great former linebacker for the Cincinnati Bengals, who's who's feeling good as the Bengals are set to play the Kansas City Chiefs for the AFC Championship this Sunday at 3 o'clock. Reggie, uh, 682-1430, by the way, if you want to celebrate with Reggie tonight. But, uh, you know, Reggie, before before we start making those Super Bowl reservations, uh, I'll tell you what I have a reservation about. you know, it seems like you guys are going to need to score a lot of points to keep up with the Chiefs because they're pretty hard to stop. And that might be a problem if Joe Burrow is picking himself up the turf, off the turf as he had to in that last game. Nine sacks by the Titans. How, how, do, they, how do they stop that from happening again? How gritty he was as a quarterback to pick himself up nine times, to look his offensive lineman in the face, in the huddle, on the <laughs> sideline, you know, he really did keep his cool, didn't he? He really did. He never uh, screamed at any of his people. He never complained. He never uh, limped. You know, he limped once. <laughs> but, you know, he really showed a lot of fortitude. And he's going to have to show that fortitude and more uh, this weekend. Uh, but lest we forget, when we went to that 82 Super Bowl, we had played the opposing team in the AFC championship earlier that year on their home, uh, uh, on their home turf. And that's when we beat San Diego by a lot of points. And, you know, when we played them in the freezer bowl, 
<laughs> a lot closer. <laughs> what was it you like? Know? Minus 59 um, wind chill or something in that game? It was all mind over matter. Oh, my you goodness. Know, I'm, I'm from Flint. I played in some cold games in high school. You know, I played, went to Dartmouth College, so I played in some colder games in New Hampshire. It was nothing like minus 59 degrees below. And the wind was really swirling. <laughs> and so it was stinging. And uh, I played it bare-armed. So oh, my I goodness. I considered myself the first player. And the offensive line did as well. So I, that's the first time, you know, with the slogan, you know, sun's out, guns out. Reggie, speaking of rematches, uh, Cincinnati's been to two Super Bowls, and in both of those, they played the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, so if Cincinnati does win Sunday, does that mean San Francisco's going to beat the Rams? We're going to go for, go for three? We'll be talking next week. That's what <laughs> well, absolutely. I'm not yeah. going to make any other prediction. You know, one game at a time. Yeah, yeah. So if they're going to be at, you know, uh, Kansas City, they deserve our 100% total focus. There shouldn't be anyone straying off the focus this this weekend and uh you know i wish them you know the best of luck you know both teams you know i hope no one gets hurt you know um i hope that uh my home's uh, girlfriend or whatnot is not spraying champagne on her fans <laughs> yeah. well let me ask you about Mahomes because you're a linebacker so you would know uh how do you stop a guy like that or at least slow him down i never faced anyone like him not even close i mean the closest would have been Randall Cunningham, you know. Uh, you know, it was uh, – Elway was difficult, you know, to sack in the pocket, but he wasn't difficult, to, you know, planning. I never played against Michael Vick. So, I don't know about that, you know, as a talent, you know, the ability to run and the ability to throw, the ability to make all kind of circus throws, or the ability to break all the rules and be successful. You know, so as a defender, you know, you've got to be much more tactical. You've got to be um, communicating more. You've got to be watching tape. You've got to be anticipating. You know, there are things that uh, you are going to have a challenge with, such as what was one of their big plays when they ran down the field in just seconds to score, and that's when they have the ability uh, to call to certain players to run whatever route they want to that'll get them open. Just run to open ground. <laughs> yeah, it's you, hard to defend someone who's running a route he doesn't even know what he's going to run yet. <laughs> <laughs> Reggie, this might be off topic for anyone but you. Since you were you oversaw the creation of Disney's Wide World of Sports, you know we've heard a lot about the Tampa Bay Rays trying to play a split season in Montreal and Tampa, and MLB has said, no, you're not going to do that. And Tampa's talking about building a stadium, but would it be feasible for the Rays to move to Disney's worldwide world of sports? Could they create a Major League Baseball stadium there? And what do you think the feasibility of that would be? Oh, I would think it'd be an interesting idea to uh, pursue. You know, they have a beautiful stadium that's just sitting idle. Um, you know, it's expandable. It was, those thoughts were in mind uh, with the architect. So, you know, the outfield berm would uh, be able to accommodate. You know, it'd just be a matter if, uh, you know, the 
raise paid for all of the changes, you know, for the most part. Right, but right. I think it'd be exciting. I think it'd be exciting to sort of share, you know, with uh, with what baseball is going to need to do. You know, I, you know, it's a bigger decision, really. You know, um, but it's a chance for Disney really to help Major League Baseball in the games that they're running on ESPN uh, because they're going to have to get America fans to fall back in love with them. I, I was playing around the time where. Uh, baseball was the number one sport in America. And uh, it was really the, the first time that I think our Nielsen ratings exceeded the World Series was during our Super Bowl in 1982. And that's sort of when football finally overtook baseball. And, you know, baseball is not going to catch football ever again. Well, it should be big ratings uh, this, this Sunday uh, when the Cincinnati plays Kansas City. And, uh, of course, if Cincinnati wins the game, Reggie Williams will become co-host here with Ronnie and me <laughs> in the Ozone. You have a reservation for next week if the Bengals win now. The Ozone it's with tough Ronnie. to win two times in the same season against the same team. That's one of the most difficult. I mean, and you know, uh, the Bengals have been relatively successful with that with their, you know, AFC North uh, opponents. But, you know, to go against Kansas City, who's been in the Super Bowl the last two seasons, you know, and think that you're going to beat them twice in one year. That's uh, and do it on the road in front of their screaming faithful. Hey, Reggie, so these are that's a, these are heady times for you Bengals fans. Not only are you in the AFC Championship game, Ben Roethlisberger's retired, so Pittsburgh's in a state of flux, and uh, looks like Cleveland's and, and Baker Mayfield aren't going to last very long. This has got to be like uh, the best the best time since you were playing. Only thing you can focus on this week and right now is Kansas City. Reggie, you mentioned it's tough to beat somebody twice in the same year. From a preparation standpoint, what makes it difficult? Is it the familiarity that each team has with each other? And if so, who has the advantage? Everything that worked before, you're not sure if it's going to work again. And you make certain assumptions about your opponent and not knowing whether in the first game he was hurt or you were hurt or how the game is going to be called, weather comes into play in different games. But you think you know, but you don't know until the game is being played. And so I, I think it's, you know, um, and plus, you know, you're when you've got beat before, you're angrier, you know. And uh, there's a desire to reverse, you know, the fortunes, you know. You know what it feels like uh, for that team to beat you. You've seen it, you know. You have immediate recall, uh, but you're not going to lose in front of your home fans. I mean, that's their, their confidence builder is that this is a home game for them, uh, a game where the week before their quarterback did something that amazed them, that thrilled them, that made them believe anything is possible, and they will win. And so the Bengals have a tough uh, task before you, and I appreciate you inviting me on this week. And I look forward to having an opportunity because we won. And I'll talk to you next week. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you being on the show. And if nothing else, I'm going to be rooting for the Bengals just because uh, I I want to talk to you some more next week. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a plan. Talk to you guys. All right. Reggie Williams, great linebacker for the Cincinnati Bengals. But he's a lot more than that. You know, this guy uh, went to Dartmouth. He's a really smart guy, as you can tell by his articulation. 
and uh, he helped to start Disney's Wide World of Sports. So you're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe on Talk Radio 96.7 WLKF. Hi, this is Ken Anderson, Super Bowl quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals, and you're listening to The Ozone with Ronnie Ocean and Coach Joe. Hey, Coach Joe and Ronnie O in the house, ready to go. The Ozone. The Ozone tonight is brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors of Lakeland. They turn scrap metal into cash. Ronnie O and Coach Joe, they've got the power. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe back in the Ozone. I hear stomachs growling out there, Coach Joe. I know there are people hungry. They're thirsty. They can't wait. They know that $30 gift certificate to Miller's Lakeland Ale House is awaiting their grasp, and they don't want Eric to get it because he will eat everything. They will have to restock the whole place. I I, I have to eat it. I'm hungry. See, you know, the the guy comes in, and he sees me, and he goes into steam shovel mode. He starts eating dinner (laughs) so he doesn't have to share. That's because I want it. I don't want you to get it. At least he's honest. So, all right. If you haven't won the last six months and you know the answer to our sports quiz, give us a call, 682-1430. That's 682-1430. And here is the question. Who was the first Kansas City Chiefs quarterback to win the Super Bowl? Was it A, Patrick Mahomes, B, Joe Montana, or C, Lynn Dawson? If you were listening you might have heard one of these names earlier, a couple of these names earlier. So give us a call, 682-1430. You could get that $30 gift certificate to Miller's Lakeland Ale House. They're located at 5650 South Florida Avenue and have 40 strategically located television sets and hundreds of strategically located mm-hmm. seats where you can <laughs> see those television sets. They have drink and meal specials every night of the week, so your $30 will go a long way, unless, of course, you invite the Clarkster. Oh, man! You know, we're, we're big fans of going over there on Saturdays for college football, but now that the college football season is wrapped up, hey, college basketball on Saturdays can be exciting. Uh, they have... Uh, uh, you can they line up the TVs. You can have three or four games on at once. I was watching uh, both the Gators Vanderbilt game and the Kentucky Auburn game uh, last Saturday over there at Ale House, and it's perfect setup. It's just, it's just great. So if you get a chance to go over there, say hello to our uh, friend Jorge and Dak and some of the and, and some of the other gang over there, and they'll they'll take good care of you. All right. Speaking of the Florida Gators. We broadcast our games on WONN right down the dial, 107.1 FM. Saturday, the SEC Big 12 Challenge. The Oklahoma State Cowboys are going to come to Gainesville. Tip-off is 4 p.m., 3.30 pregame. And then Wednesday night, the Gators will travel to Missouri to take on the Tigers. 9 p.m. tip-off, 8.30 pregame. And you can hear both of those games on WONN, our sister station, Right down the dial, 107.1. Well, let's repeat that sports quiz for you once more. Who was the first Kansas City Chiefs quarterback to win a Super Bowl? Was it Patrick Mahomes, Joe Montana, or Lynn Dawson? If you were listening, you heard that one of these guys was with another team in the NFL. Um, Well, two of them were with other teams (laughs) in the NFL, but – one of them got cut. So give us a call, 682-1430. That's 682-1430. And there you go. Call us up. 
and you could win that $30 gift certificate to Miller's Lakeland Ale House. You know, uh, a lot of people uh, forget about Montana with Kansas City. He actually played well uh, at an advanced age. Speaking of playing well at an advanced yeah. age, we <laughs> talked about Roethlisberger. And yet uh, Brady's, well, s- several years older, five, I think five years older than Roethlisberger, and he's still g- doing, you know, unlike Roethlisberger, that's kind of a tough season. Tom Brady led the league in yardage passing and touchdowns. And if you watched him in that Rams game, especially in the fourth quarter, he was spectacular. Oh, he was. <laughs> I, I, you know, as a fan, I hope he comes back for one more because he can still play and bring it. Uh, I understand if he doesn't want to, he's been doing it for 20. 20- he played college football in the 90s, Ronnie. <laughs> Think about that. Oh, my goodness. Where's our security? Daryl, how you doing tonight, man? All right. I'm academically ineligible. <laughs> hey, how's my man Cody doing? Cody's doing great. He's got a schedule change down at PDQ. He's there on Mondays and Fridays now. All right. Well, we'll have to try to get down there and you see him. You need to get down there and put a good word in for him. <laughs> uh, so the co- the Quarterback on the other side was Joe Cap. Oh yeah, that's right. And the just, coach was Hank Stram. Yeah, that's right. Remember, Cap used to say, "Just get me the seed, baby. Just get me the seed." <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Somebody should be able to answer that. The uh, coach but, on the other side was uh, for Minnesota. Yes. Uh, you should have been Four Bud time Grant. Super should Bowl Bud loser Grant. Bud yeah. Grant. Yeah. Bud Grant. Yeah. They played in the Met, in Metropolitan Stadium, otherwise known as the Ice Palace. Hey, you know, Daryl, uh, the uh, a lot. Of, it wasn't that Super Bowl, but Fran Tarkenton quarterbacked the uh, Minnesota Vikings in, in three other Super Bowls, never winning one. And so Matthew Stafford's trying to to go where Georgia quarterbacks have been able to go, and that's all the way to the Super Bowl championship. Uh, who do you think's going to win that San Francisco Rams game? Forty Niners will win. Ah, do you? Yeah, yeah. Well, they yeah. might. They, they're good. Yeah. They're, they are they got good. their number. If Debo yeah. Samuel's okay, it was limping a little at the end of that Green Bay That's game. That's all right. Yeah. He'll be fine. <laughs> now, Zeke Bradkowski was did... a Georgia quarterback. He was on those Packer teams as a backup to uh, Bart Starr, but I don't think he played much in the Super Bowls. Was Brett Favre ever at Georgia? No, he wasn't at Georgia. <laughs> no, Southern Mississippi. That's right. He was. That's right. He played against. He beat Florida State one 1989. First yes, game did. of the year. I'll, I'll never forget it. Unfortunately, FSU started 0-2. They lost to them. They lost the next week to Clemson, and then they won nine straight. Well, you know, I listened to your Gator guy tonight. I see the orange and blue tinted glasses on. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, I get that, but Brady's, you know, analyzing what they're doing, and at least they they seem active, so they got that going for them. I just remember several a number of years ago, I predicted doom when Will Muschamp was there, and one of your orange and blue tinted guys got on my case about it. Got on my <laughs> case about it. Yep. What was his name? Um, Hollywood, Hollywood Bob Redwood. Yeah. And, and, and they, we had one good year, and Hollywood was ready to throw me out the garbage can, right? And what happened the next year? Well, Muschamp the year after that. Muschamp at least brought in some good players. So, yeah, you know, if, if, exactly. if Napier does that, uh, you know, I think good things can happen, and we'll, and we'll have to see. Good players don't stay any longer. Yeah, you, you, you the got that right. That's why you got to keep more coming in all uh, the time. It's, it's, this is a mess. This well, situation is a mess. Between the Daryl Johnson Foundation and the Eric Clark Foundation, we've got all the money we need to keep those guys in Gainesville. Well, I tell you what, I just – of perusing over 
the uh, foundation records today on Eric Clark, that the fee that he's going to have to pay me this year to get that thing done will, <laughs> will fatten my wallet big time. Woo, another million down the drain. <laughs> Daryl, while we got you, I want to ask you a question. Sure. How many of these guys do you think are going to get in trouble with all this NIL stuff? You know, all that stuff used to be under the table, therefore not taxable because nobody knew about it. Mm-hmm. Now it's taxable. How yes, many sir. of these guys do you think are going to get into problems with the IRS? Most of them. Most of them. And you got to understand something that's even – let's not talk about the IRS. That's complicated enough. When you play a game in another state, you owe state income taxes for, that mo- for a portion of your money for that state. Oh, yeah. So when Florida goes and plays in, at LSU, they got, those guys have to pay money to the state of Louisiana. When they go play, when they go play um, Auburn or Alabama, they got to pay state income taxes for those states. When they play in Kentucky, they got to pay state taxes. It's a complicated deal. Ask a major league baseball player. You know, Andy McGaffigan told me that very thing today. He said he had to file seventeen returns yep. during his career in one year yep. because of that. When he played in Montreal, he had. Canadian tax, Quebec City tax, and whatever. They don't call them states up there, provinces, I guess. Yep. You had to, had to pay all three of those in Montreal. Yeah, no, this is, this, is a, this is a potentially a boon for these states. They will absolutely make a ton of money. And when you think about it, if you, if you are at Florida or Florida State or Central Florida in a state that has no state income taxes, you're, mo- you're going to pay less taxes. Probably between five and ten percent, uh, no, fifty. Probably fifty percent less state taxes. I like it, Daryl. We're out of time, unfortunately. Thanks for calling, and um, we always appreciate your calls. You know calls. the answer. It's LD. Oh yeah, there you go. Six eight two fourteen thirty. We'll stay here for a little while. What we want to know is who was the first Chiefs quarterback to win the Super Bowl? Was it Mahomes, Montana, or Lynn Dawson? So six eight two fourteen thirty. Give us a call. $30 gift certificate, easy money. Even the Clarkster knows now who the winner is. And, and the Clarkster is shaking his fist at us. He's throwing things. The Clarkster, do not get on his bad side. I'm glad that glass is there to keep us safe, Coach Joe. <laughs> All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe. So-